Recorded live. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you're listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 391. My name is Eric Nilsson, and with me in the studio today, I have my co-host, John White. John, how's it going? Doing great, doing great. Today was another a uh, green water day in the Bay. I know um, I had overwhelming response from my segment, what does the Bay water look like this week? Okay. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna we're gonna do this the mini Hawaiian surf report or the Bay report, the Bay water report. There you go. John driving over the bridge. I appreciate you driving all the way over and being in the room. Hey, happy week. to be here. Happy yeah. to be here. Nice, nice. Well, on the show today, um, we're gonna have a great show. We have uh, Frank Wegner. I don't know how you say your last name. I always mask your last names, but Frank is in the studio with us. Came all the way over from over from Hamburg, Germany. So, Frank, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me here, and it's so great to enjoy the sunshine and having the rain. <laughs> Very nice. And you've been here for like a week, so you're used to the time zone change now? Absolutely. I Great. don't feel that it's 9 p.m. for me. All right. <laughs> well, we got Frank on the show. We're going to talk a little bit about Cloud Foundation, AWS, what's happening in Europe, uh, old school technology, how Frank got where he is. Frank's been working on VMTN uh, for, I think, eight years now. He's a moderator. He's an all-around good community guy. He's also a, a physicist out of university. So, Super cool guy. Great to have you on the show, and we'll get to you in a minute, Frank. So glad you're here. Thank you. Yep. Before we do that, we'll just do the roundtable, do some news, talk about what's happening uh, this week, which I think we have, let's see, early bird registration for VMworld. We'll just do a shout-out, a little publicity around that. I think that ends next week sometime, so um, make sure you go register for VMworld. The time is upon us. Uh, I know that uh, the content calendar is getting ready to be announced. The notifications are going to go out shortly around what sessions got approved and what sessions haven't gotten approved. So once that comes out, we're going to do the VMTN tech sessions. Uh, Katie Bradley is going to uh, do some announcements around that. Katie, do we know when uh, when you're planning on doing the announcement for VMTN tech sessions? Oh, she's... She's walking in the studio right now, so she's not listening. So we'll get back <laughs> in a second. Other news, we've got uh, vRealize Suite. Uh, the new release is out, 7.3. That's right. It went uh, GA, uh, I guess, last week or the week before, and we just didn't catch it. But uh, vRealize Automation 7.3 live, um, tons and tons of new features, and we're actually going to have uh, somebody on from the tech marketing team next week, I believe. So we can uh, dive into that even deeper then. All right. Yeah. So next week. Um, Jad Elzain, I believe it is. Jad Elzain. That's right. So we'll talk live about that. Um, v Experts. Some interesting stuff going on with V Experts. Corey, why don't you talk about the two yeah. things, the, the the party and uh, what, you're, what, you, what you got going on this week? Yeah, sure. So uh, party, we'll talk about the party first. So at VMworld, um, Las Vegas, U.S., we have uh, reserved the Pinball Museum for the VXPert Party, uh, which is going to be very, very cool. It'll be a little bit different this year from uh, what we do. We're talking about doing a, like a pinball competition, maybe. Uh, we've invited Pat Gelsinger, so we're waiting to hear back if Pat's going to show up and what time he'll be there. But uh, it's exciting. Uh, second bit of news for VXPert is today, just after the podcast, we are going to uh, open up applications for VExpert second half applications as well as VExperts. Are you ready? The VExpert NSX and VExpert vSAN subprograms will both be open for applications today as well. Just to clarify, 
to apply for either sub-program, you have to be a current V-expert. Um, so applications will go out live today and within the next hour. To apply, go read the blog post at blogs.vmware.com slash vmtn. Now, I know that we're also going to start a subgroup or a sub-program uh, with the experts around cloud and AWS and yes. you know, that, that technology as well. So I assume mm -hmm. sooner or later in the next amount of time. Other thing that I might mention for people that are listening to the podcast, if you're not a V-Expert uh, yet, apply. Um, if you're already a V-Expert 2017, you don't have to reapply, right? This is just to catch right. the people that missed miss the applications in uh, November, December, and you feel like being part of the program for VMworld and come to the VMworld party and get all those amazing V-Expert gifts that all the Black vendors man. give you. This is a way you can get into that, right? Absolutely. Correct. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One other thing, Corey, before you know, you, you go silent again, how, how are you today? I, I'm, I'm doing fantastic, Eric. Fantastic. <laughs> Yay. Great no, to hear. We'll get from John, we'll get the water clarity report, and then we'll get the Corey Romero <laughs> how you doing report. <laughs> uh, one of these days you're going to get the truth, and it's going to be brutal, Eric. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't ever want the, the truth. Uh, only, only other. We got two last things in the news, and then we'll get to Frank in a bit. Uh, first thing is uh, VMUG has a online VForm I think going on, uh, starting either today or tomorrow. And I know that the CloudCred team is uh, doing some tasks and prizes for for that event. So I know you can go win some stuff. I do not see Noel on the on the call, so I won't ask her about that. But I know that's going on. You can go to CloudCred; they got some contests going on, or you can just go register the, for the VMUG online VForum activity right. that is going on. The VForum online is on June 28th, uh, so maybe there's a, actually a different event that's going on concurrently right now and tomorrow. But um, yeah, the CloudCred uh, program, if you haven't heard of it, is something that's uh, interesting. Uh, yeah. And maybe you should uh, go check that out, regardless of whether you're going to be able to make the V form online. Well, when we get to Frank, maybe I'll get a few cycles. I'll go look up and find out what actually is happening with Vima besides the V form. I think it is the V form, so maybe she's just ramping that program up okay. to go get Reg. And you can retweet and get points for retweeting and and so forth. Then the last thing in the news, um, uh, Katie, you missed this because you were you were walking over. So you might want to you know, get up to the microphone here, and I'm going to ask you a question, which is the uh, session sessions are going to be announced pretty soon for VMworld, right? Where you're going to find out whether you got approved for VMworld sessions. Do you know the timeline on that? Timeline is June 9th. June 9th sessions should be announced from the VMworld team. Um, and then June 12th, we should be opening our session. So we're going to be hosting Tech Talks this year at the VMworld Social Media and Communities section. Um, this year it will be the VMTN Community section in VM Village. So look out for the blog post announcing that we are going to be accept accepting speaker, um, speaker applications, and uh, you should see that next Monday. And the cool thing about that is I know we're going to give away somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 passes to VMworld. Yep. So if you if you got you know, if you didn't get chosen for the general sessions and you have a cool topic that we think is kind of VMTN focused, technology focused, or, you know, community focused, uh, we might pick you up and ask you if you want to come to VMworld, get you a pass, 
if you need one. If you don't need one, we'd love to have you come do the talk anyway. And we're doing this with V Brown Bag again this year, right? Yes. The difference this year is also we're going we're gonna to give some tickets away uh, for talkers that come in. And because we're doing it earlier this year, we have all the talks in Schedule Builder. So we are expecting people to actually show up and listen to your talks as opposed to just having them live streamed. Nice, nice. Yeah. So. Yeah, so look out for that announcement and be sure to submit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, Katie. Uh, we need to do a call out. We're like, oh, Katie, tell us about that. And you're walking over to the studio. So great to have you in the studio. Frank's here. And so perfect. All right, moving on. Um, now we get to what we're going to talk about today, which is uh, Frank Wagner. Wagner. How do you say your last name? Just say Frank. Speak Just now. Frank. Wagner. <laughs> Wagner, like Vader, but with Wagner. Okay, so Frank... Welcome to our nice little studio here, have you, having you on. You've been a moderator for eight years. Uh, you've been at VMware for a, for a long time. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do uh, at VMware, and we'll get into how you got where you are. Absolutely. Thank you very much. So I'm um, a product line marketing manager in the integrated systems business unit at VMware. This is actually a pretty new business unit that is stretching across a lot of topics. Uh, VMware Cloud Foundation is one of the products that we promote. I'm working remotely from Hamburg in Germany, so I cover the European market and help with the European sales books. And I've been with VMware for 11 years. In the first 10 years, I was part of professional services. I was a technical account manager, taking care of big uh, financial customers and service providers in Europe. So it's very interesting to be in marketing with a field background. So. You know, it's it's kind of it is interesting that we've we've all come from a technical background, and John still is in the, the technical space. But a lot of us are working in marketing roles or product management roles. Um, but we've come from a long way back. We were talking earlier before the show that one of my first things that I worked on was. Sco Unix, right? Where you know Botsco comes on floppy disks, and you know we've been uh, in the technology field for a long time. And you were telling me about one of the first products that you actually purchased, and then you know how you got things installed back in the day. Why don't you tell me a little bit yeah, about that? I mean, I'm a, I'm a physicist at, at university. Uh, in my PhD times, I was um, uh, solid doing solid state physics. So we had ultra thin magnetic silver layers, monoatomic layers of silver, and we were doing laser light reflection measurements, and all the, the apparatus and the software was coming with Windows 95 at that time. <laughs> and one of the guys at university was actually into Linux at that time. So he uh, got me hooked up with uh, Slackware 0.99 Linux kernels, and I remember the nights having 50 floppy disks, juggling them around, installing Linux in three hours on my 386 uh, machine, and then I thought, hey, Linux is so cool, it just feels better than, than Windows, so um, let me do my physical work, my, my physics work with Linux. So um, I wanted to hook up the Linux machine to my measurement apparatus, but there was no device driver. So I actually had to de develop my own Linux loadable kernel modules device drivers for Linux mm. um, back in the days. And um, ever since then, I started using Linux at home, and so I even persuaded my girlfriend to use Linux in the days. This was like the late 90s. Um, then I hit a challenge because I was doing my tax report with a piece of software that would only run on Windows. And I was trying all the possible emulators to run Windows on Linux, like Wine and, and other solutions. And then I, 1999, I stumbled over VMware and I tried out Workstation at that time. And it actually worked right from the start. 
So for the first time in my life, I actually spent private money on software, and that was the end of <laughs> Yeah, it, it's funny because I was, I was. That brings me back to the first software I brought, bought, which was Sco Unix. And at the time, I put it on a, a, a x86, 286, right? I think it was like 12 megahertz, right? Um, put that thing on, installed from floppies, and uh, I got my very first root account. Right, and and the days, those days, no, you know, you just didn't have a machine that had Linux that gave you an account that multiple people could log in and set up serial ports and had multiple logins and then set up serial port to go out to a university and and pull UUCP mail down, right? So it was a day of you know building your own computers, right, and spending right. time writing software, configuring software. It's a different time. It's interesting. My my story is similar because you know the first. Uh, the so- commercial software that I actually bought was uh, an operating system. It was IBM OS2, right? And then I spent extra extra money to buy the TCP/IP stack, right? And then it vaguely worked. And then finally, after about uh, uh, futzing around with that for about I don't know three or four months, um, a friend of mine walked by with a box of 50 Slackware disks, three and a half inch floppy disks, and said. Maybe you should try this, and and I think that uh, I cut my teeth on Slackware also. So it's interesting to hear that you uh, did that too, Frank. Yeah, and, and so for the noobs that are listening to this, Slackware isn't software to run Slack chat. No, right? no. It's, it's actually an old version of Unix. Right, right. It's a, it was a distribution Linux. of Linux, yeah. which I think is no longer in existence anymore. Um, but it was uh, it, it was unique in that it was distributed online as images that could be written to three and a half inch floppy disks. Yeah. Download times were a day at that point back in the time. Right. Um, if you're lucky. Anyway. So no. I worked in IT and to, to, uh, it was my hobby at that time in university, but then um, I actually turned my hobby into my profession. So I got into application development, Java, Oracle databases, eventually into consulting. And uh, as part of my job over the years, I was working with multiple customer engagements, and I always had um, the Ember workstation on my laptop as an end user. <laughs> it was the tool that enabled me to work on multiple engagements in parallel, and it, was, it never let me down, so that was amazing. Yeah, and uh, just, just a shout-out, uh, Graham mentioned that www.slackware.com is still in existence. Oh, right? okay. You know, it's still out there. Um, it is interesting because in my day, too, back in the day when I had Scoutus, I also ran BBSs, right? So uh, I also just hacked in my living room. My, my wife was always like, why do you do this, right? Um, <laughs> but, but then eventually that turns into something you make a living at, right? And, and here we are now. We run communities, which is basically just web-enabled you know, bulletin boards, mm-hmm. right, where you can, we can upload and download things. Interesting in the, in the sense that you're in Hamburg, Germany, right? And there is, there is a, a, a difference in Europe and in the U.S. And we talked a little bit about this, right? Because Frank is from, from Europe, right? Um, and I think they adopted Linux earlier in, in, the, in the cycle. And we talked a little bit about the technical preciseness of Europeans. Um, what do you think about that? Like U.S. versus Europe and the technical experience that you found, you help in uh, VMTN, you're a community member. Um, where do you think the differences lie between the Europe approach versus the U.S. approach, and how does that translate into customer interaction? Well, I think in general, I would say European companies tend to be more conservative in terms of how to approach mm-hmm. new IT um, and very structured, very organized. I mean, especially like the German culture where I come from, um, they have very precise engineering. We have very good mechanical engineering companies. Um, you might have heard of German cars. They're actually quite good. 
So um, <laughs> all of this um, requires precise work and they, they need to be reproducible and they engineers like 100% solutions. Sometimes I joke that it needs to be 120% solutions. So <laughs> very this, thorough, very thorough. This gives right. you a very reliable product, very predictable quality. However, any change is always a threat or something dangerous for uh, conservative people and for people who like to be stable. And um, this actually imposes a challenge with IT because IT is actually all about change. It's all about information. It's all about doing things differently. And once a German company does IT, they do it properly. They really dive into it. But they, my gut feeling, and this is just my observation, but the adoption cycle tends to be much slower. So anything that you bring up in the market as a new product, they look at it cautiously and they want to see proof. They want to see stories from customers using it. And um, I, what I see of America and what is happening here, customers tend to be much more um, likely to adopt new technologies. I don't know, John, what do you think? About this? Oh, it's interesting what you're talking about, that conservatism and the desire for stable solutions. Um, I've seen in enterprise customers as opposed to smaller customers. Um, smaller customers are more willing to take a risk on the technology that they're adopting because they're trying to be nimble and penetrate into places where larger customers don't have the agility to turn on a dime and dive into. So I, I have seen some of that, that conservative uh, ethic as well in larger companies in the U.S., but I've also seen some of those larger companies recognize that and try to have small pockets of innovation and uh, uh, business units with their own IT budgets specifically to uh, kind of seed new technology into the company as opposed to have it centrally planned. Absolutely. I think balancing, you need to balance two things that are actually contradictory. On the one hand, you need to sustain your existing business. You need to make money to, to pay your employees. At the same time, you want to adopt new things or you, you need to move your business forward. And um, some companies do better than others. And um, so let's see how this develops. I mean, the good news is that uh, VMware is doing this ourselves. Like the business unit I am in is actually something new that is just emerging as a product. And we are standing on top of a large foundation of um, existing successful products. Hmm. So, can you? I, I don't think that we really planned on talking about this, but maybe I can ask you the question, and you could tell me if it if it's something that you have expertise in. Um, just the fact that we have this brand new business unit, the integrated systems business unit. How does VMware, in your experience, foster a new business unit? Does it um, is it incubated in the office of the CTO? Um, is it a birthed whole as a completely separate business unit? Um, are there multiple paths to that? Uh, what's been your experience there? Um, I think this one is very closely related to the office of the CTO. As part, when I was a term at VMware, I was also a CTO ambassador, mm -hmm. which is a very cool program in VMware because then select people from the field get the chance to talk directly to our C-level staff and to work with the office of the CTO very closely. And this is actually how I got into the business unit. I got through our office of the CTO. And um, I, it's not that we create new business units very often. Like we had the NSBU for networking, um, eventually we had the storage view. But um, the challenge with business units is that they have their own business, as the name says. Right. And the integrated systems business unit uh, stretches across them all because um, they ship a solution that combines compute network and storage into a single solution which is actually a new endeavor for VMware itself. Like when customers have their data centers and they have their siloed operations and they have their siloed teams, and 
when cloud, well, VMware was actually disrupting this with her hypervisor because suddenly storage and server people had to talk, which they never intended or they never had to do that much. <laughs> and um, Cloud Foundation now does the same inside VMware because it's actually forcing all business units much closer together, which is a good thing for customers. Right, right. Uh, interesting in that, you know, going back to the, the European, you know, stability and conservativeness, right? The, the only thing that I see that's interesting around that is that they also tended to adopt Linux quicker, right, than in the U.S., right? And maybe it's the Microsoft influence that held us out of the open source market, but maybe it's because, you know, it was a European invention, the open source Linux, you know, you know release. Um, what's your perspective on the fact that, you know, if you really look at it, Linux had a, a stronger, deeper foothold in Europe before the U.S.? Um, I think it's the feeling of power, like you, you don't have a black box, you actually control the whole system. And um, actually, there's been mixed stories about Linux in Europe. There's a very famous story about the city of Munich, that uh, where the parliament of the city said, we will move all IT in our city, all business IT to Linux. So we get rid of all Windows systems for anything that is a public service in the city of Munich. And uh, it was a huge shift because it said, we saved so many millions of dollars to pay for Microsoft, so we're going to move to Linux. Um, it actually turned out to be much harder than thought because there were mm. so many dependencies and the, there were so many other departments and other offices that were still using the office suite that was not 100% compatible to um, um, whatever office suite they were using on Linux. So these little things that um, made it very hard to adopt for that city. Right. Uh, I think the story is different in data centers because then um, you don't have, well, you have a more structured IT infrastructure more. And if you do new application developments and you use some frameworks um, like OpenStack or containers or even Java or anything else, um, it works pretty well on Linux. So you don't need to worry about the operating system. But in general, I think it got adopted because, hey, it provides value. This is what I think counts for any solution that if you get the right value, you will see the adoption. Yeah, I, I think that, the, the, that somebody chimed in on the chat that, you know, Microsoft licensing costs and it was a major factor in the UK, right? Just plain and simple. But then there, I think it gets back to being, you know, you, some Europeans are very dedicated towards engineering and like the idea that you had the source, you could engineer it, you knew exactly what was there, and it wasn't this black box, that you had control, destiny, and then cost was also value, was also uh, part of that. Um, so it's, it's interesting. That takes us, you know, the, the role of, you know, adoption and willing to change and so forth where, you know, now we get into Cloud Foundation, which is one of the products, you know, that you spend your time in. This is what you, you work on. And, and there is a part of, you know, uh, OPEX reduction change um, adoption that, that's happening with Cloud Foundation. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that transition to Cloud Foundation. Maybe you want to do first a little overview of what Cloud Foundation is, and then we can talk about what it takes to, to change your org to actually get the Cloud Foundation. So let's go there. Absolutely. I actually, I tend to joke that Cloud Foundation solves the problem that VMware created. <laughs> um, <laughs> because <laughs> I've been working with VMware now for 11 years, and working a lot with customers. And one of the main complaints from customers over the years was, hey, you have more and more products. It's actually more and more complex to install all, all of that. It's more complex to maintain all this. So we get a tremendous value from VMware and the initial story like server virtualization gives you like return on investment on hardware in a massive way. Um, and then they adopt cloud management platforms on top and all the other things. And 
very good solutions, but all this value was kind of impacted by um, tougher management, keeping it uh, alive, keeping it patched. Keep, I know customers who are still running on vSphere 5 because they say upgrading vSphere for me is a major project. I need to do risk analysis. I need to do whatever. And they, all the years, the customers were like talking to me saying, hey, Frank, help us push VMware R&D to provide something more simple. Mm. Help us make, uh, help us reduce our infrastructure efforts. So um, we actually tried multiple times and um, there's been some improvement. This was like organic and the individual products improved. But actually we realized it didn't really move the ball in a big way. It didn't really change drastically. So this is when um, we actually, a couple of years back, R&D decided to, hey, we need to do it very differently. We need to do IT differently. We need to move away from all the piecemeal products and all the individual pieces. Right, that's that's it. Stop you there and say, it, yeah. to me, that was the thing that we sold the SDDC. We said, oh my God, so what, single block plane, software controlled data center, here it all is. But the reality is we just had a bunch of point products that we had acquired, that we built, but they didn't really pull together the entire, they all had their separate install process. They all had their separate management backplane. We didn't have a common uh, management framework, GUI, uh, web console. We had the C-sharp client over on vSphere. Then we had these product that we acquired in all the different areas. And so the real sense was we didn't have a common infrastructure period. Exactly. And this is now exactly coming into play. This is exactly what Cloud Foundation is. It's a single engineered infrastructure platform. We're actually starting with um, vSphere, vSign, and NSX, which is like the core foundation. This is, uh, I take the product name literally in this sense. Right. And um, to give you the experience of a single product. So you install everything from scratch on naked hardware like you would install any consumer software. That's the goal, and we are pretty close to that. Um, and also make patching and upgrading simpler. And when customers upgrade systems or patch systems, they need to do a lot of dependency checks, like which version of NSX is compatible to which version of ESX. And if people are active in the communities, they probably might have seen threads about, oh, I found a bug, it doesn't really work together. And um, all this pain of upgrading, all this pain of checking all the different dependencies, the pain is not going away. But Cloud Foundation is shifting that pain to R&D. And now uh, it's handled inside a company. And for customers, this means uh, it's actually um, a risk mitigation engine in the sense that you no longer have the risk yourself as a customer. You have the risk in VMware. And you no longer have the effort in your own data center. The effort is actually handled by VMware R&D. And it, those of you who know VMware will understand this is actually a major initiative. This is, this is a huge thing. It's a longer journey. We've, on it, we've been on it for a couple of years. It will take more time to be fully covering all use cases, but we are already seeing initial value coming out of it. Can you talk about, you said something about the uh, installation of bare metal. So with Cloud Foundation, um, is, is that something that happens after bare metal installation or is it something that assists in the bare metal installation? <laughs> it's actually, why are you laughing? Um, because I know the answer. <laughs> It's the, you actually, it does everything. So you start with naked hardware. You get a rack cabled up with the switches and there's instructions how to cable up the systems. There's an imaging appliance that you connect to one part of the management switch. Um, and you basically hit go and it images the EX86 servers. It, it images the switches. It sets up the physical VLANs. Um, 
it sets up the ESXi host, the management um, system, then you get your vCenter set up, the vSun is set up, and it even installs and configures NSX um, in, in a generic fashion. And this whole process is like 10, 15 minutes people time and maybe three, four hours, depending on how many servers you have in your rack, uh, where you just wait for the automation to complete. Now, normally as a physicist, I would say this sounds crazy, but I've actually done it myself here in Palo Alto in the solution center a couple of times and it's reproducible. And we've seen customers doing it. And this is the first step. So you have the initial imaging and then you need to bring in what network do you want to connect to. So all you need on the customer side is a power supply, space, and two network cables for the backbone. So I, I mean, I've done this process, right, where I install vSphere and vSAN and, and even NSX. Um, it took me weeks and weeks and weeks. You're, you're, you're saying that from uh, with rack and power and servers and bare metal, this can be done in hours? Actually, a day, yes. And okay. this would even include VDI. However... This is something very important to understand. Cloud Foundation is standardizing the way how we set up the architecture. This is very important to understand because it's a change of how you work in IT before. And this is actually the biggest challenge to even for our own VMware salespeople and all the people, our partners um, and customers to see you no longer manually assemble the, the product. You actually take it as it is and um, you work with the architecture as it is which has um, less flexibility. If you want full flexibility, if you really like tweaking things, if you like building your cars from scratch with all the parts, so you get all the parts shipped off your car, this is not for Cloud Foundation. Cloud Foundation is people who actually want to drive and who don't care how the car is constructed. There is, um, as I said, there are some, some things that we don't support yet, but uh, some use cases like BDI or integrated containers can be run very easily and fast on top of Cloud Foundation. So now you're blowing my mind because initially I was thinking um, that I was saving, you know, what can sometimes be like a six or eight week process of doing a data center deployment and um, uh, co uh, collapsing that down to hours or even a day. But now you're also saying that I'm saving the front end effort of doing the data center architecture which can be a six-month process or even longer, depending on uh, on how specific I need to be, as long as I'm willing to accept this off-the-shelf architecture, which uh, I'm hoping and assuming encompasses VMware's best practices. Absolutely. Now, you still need to do integration into your backend systems. You still need to think, like, how do I do ticketing with Remedy or other tools that I have? So there is some work, but the amount of work you invest in infrastructure is far less. And this actually has a big change. I, I spoke to some PSO consultants who told me, hey, Frank, this Cloud Foundation piece is bad. I don't like it. I said, why? Well, it takes away my job. I mean, I make my money with installing vSphere <laughs> and patching, patching vCenter. This is my business. And many smaller partners have mm -hmm. the same concern. And um, this is where I believe that, um, yes, that's true. <laughs> your, your job will change. Right. And over time, I mean, again, it might take couple of more years, it might hit off next month, whatever is we we have the release out in the public since last September and we have the first customers. When it, as adoption picks up, this will change. And um, it's just that um, some people are very unhappy. However, I also found consulting folks and especially the managers of the consulting piece. This is good because the installation is actually a low margin business. 
Right. You don't earn that much money with installing vSphere. You uh, don't add that much value, right? There's yeah. not a value that, to a customer either. That's also critically important. It is not it is not high value, right? It's it's building the house. Right? Decorating the house is high value. Mm-hmm. You know, what right. you can do once you live in the house is high value. But uh, yeah. pouring so, the foundation is not. And this is how I think, I believe Cloud Foundation actually makes all the automation projects that we do with customers, be it V-Realize Automation or Orchestrator or any other tool. I've been doing that for many years myself. And you know what was the most painful thing about any type of automation you do in a data center? Tell me. Exceptions. Infrastructure not set up the same way, dealing with boundary yeah. conditions. This uh, makes it so expensive to do automation and so hard to scale out. Um, Cloud Foundation is the opposite. It's a very prescribed setup. You know, you always know for sure how storage computer networking is wired together. Um, and this makes automation projects so much easier because you have a very reliable, uh, repeatable infrastructure. And we have one customer who has like 51 data centers and they have one engineering team in one location. And they use Cloud Foundation to design the base architecture in this one location and they treat it like a blueprint. It's like... Um, or the configuration can be stored in a JSON file, and then you can stamp it out to the other locations. And for those who want to uh, have this repeatable infrastructure, it can be very powerful. It's something to worth look at, I think. Yeah, that was one of my questions is, is this really going at Greenfield? I mean, you have, you have hardware refresh cycles, right, at customers. And so it, when you have a hardware refresh, then you take a segment and say, let's go to Cloud Foundation because we just can you know, turn that on, run it, and provision but it really doesn't do well in a brown environment where you've got all kinds of stuff going on and now you've got to re-architect. How, how does that play it's out? It's actually both. In terms of pure hardware, so if, assume you have an existing vSphere environment. You have your ESX host and vCenter server, and somebody asks, can I use my existing vCenter to connect to a cloud foundation system? The answer is no. Absolute greenfield. Uh, the other way around, so if you have your cloud foundation, you cannot connect external ESX hosts. This is this is what the automation requires. It's a closed system. It's like an appliance in a rack right. that you have like a Lego brick in your data center. So from an infrastructure perspective, it's a pure greenfield approach. And the HCL for Cloud Foundation is uh, a subset of the vSUN HCL. vSUN ready now, HCL. Uh, vSUN ready because it's 100% vSUN. But we also automate the ESX host management. So we use the IPMI interface of the hosts. And that needs to be very carefully tested. Um, so yes, you, usually it's when capacity expansion or hardware refresh is due. That is the greenfield approach. However, it plays very well together in your overall data center because uh, you can have, it's just an endpoint to be realized automation. It's just um, one element in, in your data center that you deploy resources to with extra capacity. So once, once you have it up and running, the output you get is a vCenter cluster that you can use with whatever solution that you're using before. Exactly. And whatever runs, Cloud Foundation provides vCenter, vSUN, NSX, and all the APIs are the very same APIs as in your custom environments. This means if you happen to have any third-party solution like um, Palo Alto Networks or F5 Load Balancers that speaks to existing networking or existing NSX, you can use the same solution to speak to stuff on Cloud Foundation. The same with all the vCenter extensions and all the other things with all your automation pieces you have developed for your environment, you can use the same on top of Cloud Foundation. Okay. 
I'm going to I'm going to jump in here because I got a couple other su- subjects I want to cover. One um, is you're going to be at Frankfurt uh, next week, right, at the VMUG UserCon presenting. What are you going to be presenting? Um, actually, I'm, I'm going to present stories about Cloud Foundation, and uh, it's actually not just the marketing pitch. We, meanwhile, we have customer stories, so I'm um, taking one of our examples, what a customer did with Cloud Foundation, how it made them feel, what they got with it, and I will wrap some meat around that and, and talk, just brainstorm that and discuss this, and it will be pretty open because... Again, it's still very new, and many people are just testing the waters, so um, I'm just curious. And uh, I know that you've done some work on what's happened in the, just the last six months around Cloud Foundation. Uh, can you give us kind of a, some a view into you know, some of that work that you've done around what's mm-hmm. happened in the last six months? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Cloud Foundation is like a startup product within VMware. It's like, it feels like working in a startup company in a larger environment, so we are seeing uptake in business. So we have more and more customers uh, that purchase Cloud Foundation, uh, putting it on their strategic roadmap for their own data center. Some of the purchases are strategic, some are deploying immediately, and we see the first successes. So this is very exciting to see. It almost feels like a baby is born and growing up a small child. The other thing is that the product itself is improving. So we have a couple of, four, three or four releases in the last half year, and we were like improving initially you need eight hosts to get started now you can start with four hosts so if you have four hosts that's the minimum entry wow um, that's that, that's actually much uh, lower than i thought um uh that that eight host number had kind of stuck in in my uh, mind and i think even maybe previously on the the previous generation when it was called a uh, evo rack like it, it seemed to be more on the like the entire rack scale, like 24 hosts or, or, or 12 hosts. Mm-hmm. But to, so, so now the entry level is, is four hosts. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's basically where even a, a, a smaller, medium-sized business would be buying into a data center. And we're adding more hardware options as well. So we have um, HP and Dell. We were looking at which are the biggest hardware vendors that we work with. It was like HP and Dell. So they were the first. We also have QCT. Um, but just recently, we did a joint effort with a customer to qualify Cisco C240 servers for Cloud Foundation. So um, many things are possible. Currently, it's lots of lots driven by customer demand together with customers. And um, we also have a lot of new resources around Cloud Foundation. We have capacity planner tools. We have uh, Ryan Johnson. Those of you who know him has created a great collateral or repository of public information on Cloud Foundation. And um, so... The product's beginning to mature. We're seeing more uptake, certainly more in the discussions. We're doing lots of partner enablement, field enablement in the last half year. And um, so, um, yeah, it's exciting. There's lots of things moving on at the moment. So, Frank, one of the things I wanted to ask you, um, I noticed that we, we talked about the VRealize Automation uh, release uh, 7.3. One of the features that was on the release notes was a series of uh, APIs for API-driven installation, upgrade, uh, um, confirmation that installation was done correctly, confirmation that upgrades were done correctly. Is, is that the influence of products from the integrated systems business unit? Uh, I've noticed a lot more API-driven uh, install, configure, upgrade. I think not only, yes, partially. It's, I think there's a general understanding in VMware, in brackets finally. I mean, I've been pushing for it so many years that APIs are important and that all the product behavior needs to be standardized 
And this is really understood now. And the good news is that um, as Cloud Foundation moves forward, we, um, we plan to leverage more and more of those APIs. Right. So ultimately, vSUN has much improved installation procedures. vSUN gets firmware check mechanisms. So um, Cloud Foundation will consume all those goodness of the other products around. And we already deploy vRealize operations, log inside and horizon, also fully automatically. And this will grow in the future. And um, so this is, yeah, these APIs are very important. We need to take care that we don't make redundant work within VMware. Um, so we are, you can view Cloud Foundation like a meta engine on top of all the other automation-driven products. Right. Well, and one of the things that we talked about earlier um, was the fact that even inside of VMware, we're seeing our QA cycles change because of the uh, Cloud Foundation you know, package and having to test everything together every yeah. time we do a build. Absolutely. I think I told you initially that uh, the pain is not going away. It's transferred to R&D. But because we transferred the pain to R&D, they're now becoming creative. And they, in the past, like if uh, the business unit, uh, the storage BU was developing vSAN or the NSS, NSBU was developing NSX, there was a development cycle. You start a product, you do your first coding, and then eventually you get to an alpha phase. And the alpha phase, you kind of compare to the which products were versions work together. The change now is that at VMware, the different BUs actually sit together at the initial planning before we even start coding. And from every code step, there are interoperability tests now built in. And this, uh, it will take a while until it really materializes, but it turns out to be very powerful going forward that um, we still have the occasional hiccup of things not being compatible or bugs being found, but I expect a much higher product quality going forward. Right, if it's a design goal going forward and, and not something that's bolted on yeah. afterwards, your your chance of success is always going to be much, much higher. Yes. That makes sense. And finally, I have on the subject that we, we, should, we should always talk about every time we have a podcast now, we always bring back to AWS uh, cloud interaction. Um, what do you see happening with regard to the public cloud available offerings, whether it be IBM, AWS, and Cloud Foundation, how does that come together? What are your thoughts in general around you know, public clouds, AWS in particular? Uh, public clouds is a funny story. I actually had this at one of my customers, uh, a larger customer, that um, they ran into a, an issue where the finance officer came to the CFO and said, hey, we are running, we're running our travel expenses are going up drastically. But we're not, we don't have many people traveling. What is happening? And they did an analysis, and they found out that people were actually booking VMs on Amazon with their credit cards, and it was not going through the IT. <laughs> so the, uh, the CFO told the CIO, hey, you need to fix this. Hey, get, get the VMs off Amazon because, uh, hey, this is eating up our budget, and now your traffic is picking up, and this is just too bad. And the CIO went to the CTO, and they did an analysis, and they found out, actually, we cannot move back from Amazon because... Developers picked a few VMs just to play around, to build some bits and pieces, because IT, it took IT four weeks to deliver virtual machines because of some IP address collection processes, etc. So this was very painful. So developers started coding on Amazon. It gradually, it actually morphed into a production system. And they said, if I take off this VM from Amazon, we're losing 20 million every month. Oh, no. So uh, they're really stuck. But that was not approved by security. There was no data security around. So this shows 
public clouds are so utterly cool because it's so easy to get started with them. It's so easy to do business. And it's so easy to get immediate return. I mean, humans, this is like your smartphone generation or even everybody is happy when you have immediate return on any response. And this is exactly what the public cloud is delivering. But at the same time, it's still kind of a silo. You can't get out easily. And the, the idea in VMware and Amazon partnering now is why don't we combine the best of both worlds? Why don't we combine the stability, the knowledge, the, the VMware ecosystem and the flexibility of the VMware ecosystem with the agility of the public cloud? And what we are working on and what's been announced is that we actually offer um, a VMware infrastructure with vSAN, uh, vSphere and NSX in the Amazon cloud at Amazon speed. And Amazon is actually QAing the VMware service. This is a very interesting, and I heard about this, I, heard, I was smiling, <laughs> said, because Amazon has a certain set of qualities, whatever they offer in the cloud has to meet certain standards. And they're not benchmarking VMware against them. This includes provisioning times of, which of, of the hosts, right. the ESX hosts, the infrastructure and flexibility. So um, a lot more will be moving on. And when the VMware infrastructure and cloud foundation is being offered as a service, in the clouds, this will open new doors for customers who want to have both, like the flexibility and the uh, VMware ecosystem. But at the same time, that's, uh, that's not a, a product that's GA right now. No, we are right. in beta. The beta is full, and we're going to start rolling this out in the U.S. Um, later this year. The EMEA folks will have to wait a little longer because we actually decided deliberately to move in baby steps and to move small because we really want to get it right because user experience is so utterly critical that uh, we just can't take any chances here. I heard the, uh, the VP, uh, Mark Lohmeyer, say something on the order of 1,000 applications for the beta program for 50 spots. Yeah, it's, it's, it is... Um, Let's see how we move forward. We need right. to move fast enough so people keep their interest, but it's certainly an um, interesting place to watch. Right. But um, we do have uh, VMware Cloud Foundation as a service available, right, uh, through IBM? IBM is shipping, and they're shipping in 21 data centers globally in every geo in every country. And um, I've had some of my friends trying it out, and we have some customers. Like, it's very fast. It does. In one hour, you get your VMware cluster um, with the same vSAN, NSX, and vSphere experience. Uh, you can connect it to your, as an endpoint to vRealize automation. And the interesting piece is that public cloud has two ways of adoption. There are some customers who say, I really like this cloud foundation piece. I really like it, but I don't have any budget for hardware. I can't afford it. And I, then it can, you can actually get started in the IBM cloud today, small. And later, when you have the budget, you can add your private cloud to it. Mm. Um, at the same time, it can be vice versa. You start with a private cloud, and if you need extra capacity, then you can move into the public cloud. So it will, um, it will take a time, and as, as we gather more and more stories of successful customers, I think it will be um, much more interesting, and then you can compare. How does it, how does it compare to your old life? <laughs> Is it really changing? Is it, can you imagine living without a smartphone? Can you imagine living without DSL and just going back to your analog modem? I expect something like this will happen in the years to come. Right. 
And then, and then if you fold in uh, IoT, Internet of Things, and the amount of data that's going to be coming from there, I'm always wondering, is this going to be a contraction for data centers? Is this going to be a, an expansion of just IT capability where, you know, if you, if you get more devices, more things that businesses have to worry about in a digital footprint, maybe this is just adding capacity, right? And it's, it's actually allowing you to respond quicker to the faster and faster acceleration of digital in general. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And this is why companies can't afford to waste so much energy and time on plumbing and the infrastructure. And this is exactly what we want to get rid of. I'm wondering if anybody's seeing, you know, data centers transitioning where you, you add additional capacity, but then you do other things inside of your data center, right, that, that, that take, you know, a different role, right? I don't know as we see these Amazon instances, you know, come to be, right, whether we're actually seeing data center capacity transition, whether it's staying uh, legacy systems, right, and then new things are happening out on Amazon, or whether we're, you know, we're just going to see a blend of job loads working across a cloud of NSX or the fabric, and it doesn't really matter. I think it will be moving around. I mean, the seamless migration that we announced in some of the sessions is, at the moment, I would be more cautious with that because there's some uh, work needed to make it work, but um, in general, I see the, the workloads will be moving around. And one example that I like to say is Dropbox. They were using Amazon S3 storage for all their data for a long time, and then they started building their own data centers because it turned out to be challenging in some of the Amazon aspects. So I think for the foreseeable time, it will move in all directions into public cloud, back from public cloud. It's, it will be an organic flow of uh, IT infrastructure and IT capacity. And the more flexible this can be done, the better for business. Yeah, I just uh, I remember reading an article about Netflix, right? And they, there was a, an Amazon outage, and the Netflix uh, service went down for everybody in North America. Amazon Video was still up, but mm -hmm. Netflix was down, and it kind of triggered some thinking. It's just about. a point of options. That's yeah. the point. You need yeah, to have options, options and right. um, we are offering compelling options with Cloud Foundation yeah. going forward. And again, this is in the early stages still. So if you look at it today, you will find gaps, yes. Um, but if you look for the right use cases, it can be very powerful already. I think there also could be just a check and balance model as well here, right? Like I like solar because solar requires the oil companies to respond to a certain level. You can't charge too much per uh, barrel of oil or you just, you know, customers move to different alternatives, right? right. So in a real sense, if you have the, the, the ability to move workload around, you know, Amazon starts charging too much for data rates or starts charging too much or you, you have the option or the reliability isn't there or security isn't there. You have the option to be able to move your workloads around and tell Amazon, get your act together or we're not going to do that. Yeah. I spoke to one of the large consulting companies about Cloud Foundation and public cloud business and they responded back to me, hey, Frank, so Cloud Foundation is commoditizing public cloud. So it doesn't actually matter which public cloud I use. If I have Cloud Foundation on, on, on the weak cloud air network, on the IBM cloud, on Amazon, maybe later on Google cloud, whatever. And um, I said, yes, this is the same what vSphere did to the x86 host. This is what Cloud Foundation is targeting to do with the infrastructure. Ah, that's a, that's a great story. So it's like story. the next generation vSphere that we are talking here. Right. Well, I know we have five minutes left, so you know I'll let everybody wrap up and, and hit Frank with whatever their uh, questions are. I just want to say thanks for being a VMTN moderator for as long as you have. It's great to have these longtime community people, you know, just here year after year. It, it, it is the brain power of, of of our whole community ecosystem. So thanks right. for doing that. Um, 
where do people follow you? What's your Twitter handle? Do you ever blog? Talk a little bit about yourself. We'll evangelize or we'll do some publicity for, for Frank right here, right now. Yeah, my Twitter handle is FTVGNER, W-E-G-N-E-R. Um, I actually write on the public VMware blog uh, in, under cloud-foundation. Um, and my private blog is F wegner.de, but there's uh, like once a half year, whenever I find something super exciting, I post something. So it's rare so, snippets of information. So let's be clear. Way. That's F, what's it? F-T-V-W-E-G-N-E-R. That's right. the Twitter handle. Okay, that's the Twitter handle. Great. And um, is there a uh, Twitter handle for, uh, for Cloud Foundation? Oh, yeah. That's um, VMWCF. That's VMware Cloud Foundation. VMWCF is the handle for VMware Cloud Foundation. Excellent. Excellent. And then finally, you're going to be at Frankfurt next week. What day is that? That's Wednesday, June 14th. Um, Watch out for the agenda. Frank, all right, Frank, Frankfurt. Uh, it's a VM, VMUG UserCon. Exactly. Right? The so, German VMUG UserCon. We expect a couple of hundred people. Frank Deneman, by the way, is giving the keynote on that session, so you have to come. The dual Franks. The, <laughs> there you go. The big and the small Frank. Yeah. You'll have uh, dual Franks, but not dueling Franks. Yeah. Well, that's great. I appreciate it. It's great to see you in person again. And I know we've met a couple times. Uh, we haven't talked about Cloud Foundation since last August, so it's good to hear the updates there. With Ryan. And, um, you know, we'll have to get you back in next time you're in the U.S. How often do you come back uh, across the pond? It's every couple of months, probably next time in October, November, because there's two VMworlds in between. So you can meet me at the VMworld in Las Vegas in August, or at VMworld Europe in Barcelona. And we don't know if you have a session. Did you submit a session? I'm actually staffing the booth. So oh, you're staffing the booth. So because know. that's much more interactive, so I can so talk you, to people. You can booth come duty. And meet Frank in person. You're going to be here. Come by, say hello, tell him you, you heard him on the podcast. That actually reminds me. I, I found out that I'm going to be at VMworld US uh, this year um, proctoring the hands-on labs. So I was like, clearly, they didn't listen to me when I said, never let this guy show up. <laughs> Exactly. So you can uh, uh, DM me on Twitter at vjourneyman if you're going to be there, and maybe uh, we can uh, meet up uh, at the hands-on labs uh, where I'm proctoring, or uh, at one of the parties afterwards, or or dinner, or lunch, or breakfast, or any kind of food. food. (laughs) We're good. That's nice. All right, we're at the top of the hour. Uh, I don't know if Noelle uh, Greer is still there. We had one question. I see she's in the chat. We had one question for you, Noel, if you want to unmute yourself. Um, what are you doing with vForms or with vMug? I know you're promoting vMug on cloud credibility. Um, don't know if you're on the voice call, whether we can get an answer from you or not. I'll give you 10 seconds. And the answer is no, she's not there. She is in the chat, but we won't. We will not know. You will just have to go play CloudCred and see what's going on with vMug. There is a vForms coming on uh, up. What did we say, the 29th or something like that? Yeah, exactly. Um, so go check that out. And next week we're going to be talking about the vRealize automation, vRealize suite release. Uh, so we'll be back again. Should be a good podcast. And I think uh, the week after that we've got uh, sample exchange uh, on VMware Code. So if you got you got scripts or you got code you want to share, they're connected it to GitHub. It's really super cool. Uh, we'll have somebody on and talking about sample exchange two weeks from now. And if you want to be on the community podcast, uh, feel free to reach out to myself or John, and we'll get you on and we'll talk about all kinds of stuff. 
Excellent. Yep, perfect. Thanks for everybody being here. We'll talk to you again next week and come join live if you want to chat with us and uh, talk to our guests because we do do this live. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.